As Hunter mentioned, we find ourselves today in the third sermon of our series, Marching from Earth to Eternity, as today we talk about the doctrine of hell. Friends, our text today is Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Hear now the written word of the living God. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed on you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Again, pray with me, please. Lord, as we approach your word, we recognize that it is the word of the living God, true in all that it says and teaches. Father, open our ears, our hearts, our minds to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, today I'm preaching about a subject that many churches around this world have completely disregarded in their current framework of preaching or even in Bible studies. You know, there was a time in the history of America when the subject of hell was not only talked about, but it was actually preached with regularity, specifically from preachers like Jonathan Edwards and many of the other frontier preachers. But in today's world, liberal theology has completely dismissed the whole concept of hell. Others claim that when we die, we simply go into annihilation. We cease to exist in any form at all. But friends, I want you to know that the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, 
firmly believed in the reality of hell. In fact, in the Bible, Jesus talked far more about hell than he did heaven. And if we take the Bible seriously, if we take King Jesus seriously, we too will believe in the reality of hell. Friends, today as I stand to preach this sermon, I want you to know that I fully and completely believe in the reality of hell. And as an under-shepherd in Christ's church, that belief in hell causes me to have a concern for you, my flock. Friends, if I believed in the reality of hell and did not preach it, I would not be loving you. I would not be properly shepherding you. But because I take King Jesus very seriously, and because I love you, friends, I preach the sermon today that you might flee the wrath that is to come. So I realize here at the very beginning of this sermon, that by the time I end this sermon, I might be one of the most unpopular preachers on the internet, because I'm talking today about a very unpopular topic. But friends, I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. I'm not here today to be a pleaser of man, but to be a pleaser of God. So friends, today I want you to see the Bible's doctrine of hell. And as we go through this sermon, I want you to see this doctrine in three simple points. First of all, we're going to talk about the Bible's description of hell. Secondly, today, we're going to see God's judgment, His separation, His wrath and fury. And then third and finally today, we're going to see the good news, the grace of God, and the way of escape. But friends, first of all, it would do us well to zoom in and focus upon the Bible's description of hell. Friends, as we study the New Testament, we study the the words of Jesus Christ and his disciples. The Bible teaches us the reality of a place called hell. In Luke chapter 16, the text that Hunter read a moment ago, Jesus calls hell a place of torment. In Revelation 9, John the Revelator says hell is an abyss or a pit. In Mark chapter 9, it's called the place of eternal fire. In Luke 13, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 8, 22 and 25, the Word of God calls hell a place of outer darkness. Well, friends, over the years, many theologians have debated, are these images, literal images, or are they symbols? Well, friends, if they're literal, then hell, without doubt, is a horrifying place. But there are many, even in conservative circles, who believe that these images are simply symbolic. Well, what would that mean if these descriptions of hell were symbolic? Should people take comfort that they are symbolic? You know, I was listening to uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul on this, and He was teaching on hell and talking about some of these things being symbols. 
in hell. And many of his hearers took comfort in that, saying, oh, hell's not that bad. These are simply symbols. Uh, We shouldn't worry about hell. And Dr. Sproul said, oh, no, not at all. And then Dr. Sproul reminded them of the function of a symbol. Let's talk about that. What is the function of a symbol? The function of any symbol is to demonstrate a likeness to a reality. But the reality is always more powerful. It's more penetrating than the symbol. Friends, we're going to put a slide up on the screen now. This is the symbol of SeaWorld. You know, a couple weeks ago, my family uh, went to SeaWorld. And if you look at this symbol, you see a little bit of water and a dolphin. And by looking at this symbol, we get a glimpse of what SeaWorld is like, don't we? But I'll guarantee you that everyone watching and listening today knows that there's more at SeaWorld than just one dolphin and a little bit of water. Because there's always more to a reality than what is just portrayed in the symbol. You know, when I went to SeaWorld two weeks ago, I saw a lot more than one dolphin and a little bit of water. In fact, I went to the dolphin show and I saw about five dolphins in unison acting together in a show. And we stayed on the campus of SeaWorld for a long time. We saw whales and sharks and sea lions, stingrays and birds. We rode roller coasters and water rides. We walked through aquariums. And I'm telling you, not one of those things I just mentioned was in the symbol that we just showed you. The point is, the reality of something is much greater, much more powerful, much more penetrating than the symbol. And friends, so it is with hell. There is more to the reality of hell than what we just see symbolically in the Scriptures. The reality of hell is more penetrating, it's more powerful than the symbols we see in the Bible. Not less penetrating or less powerful. Dr. Sproul, in the same lecture I was listening to on hell, he quoted another theologian in talking about hell, and here's what he said. He said, hell is so bad that the sinner in hell would do everything he could to be in a lake of fire instead of being in hell. Dr. John Gerstner said it this way, Friends, you can't exaggerate hell. It is a place of torture. It is a place of eternal fire. And as Luke 16 taught us, it's a place where your memory tortures you. Remember the text that Hunter read just a moment ago. The rich man in hell, he remembered this world. He remembered all the things of this world, and I'm sure he had great regrets. He thought about his conveniences, his friends. He thought about the joys that he once had in this world. And he probably remembered the voices that warned him of the wrath that was to come, but he did nothing about it. And as Luke 16 describes, this rich man, he looked up into the blessedness of heaven. And he was again tortured by the sight of heaven. And he lived out what Jonathan Edwards once said. 
Jonathan said, Hell's sight of the blessedness of heaven will increase the hellishness of hell. And you can only imagine it was true for the rich man in Jesus' story that the hellishness of hell was more intense by seeing the sight of the blessedness of heaven and the fact that this man would forever be in eternal torment and it was impossible to, to escape. Friends, consider for a moment eternity. You know, I can remember being in the car a couple weeks ago on the way to Florida and my kids say, uh, are we there yet? Are we there yet? This is taking forever. I'm sure you've had an experience like that in your life. But friends, that's not what forever is. Consider eternity. Ponder eternity because that is the reality of hell. It's a place where you don't want to go. But secondly today, let's zoom in and see God's judgment separation, wrath, and fury. As Hunter reminded us a moment ago, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Friends, the text we just read from the book of Matthew chapter 25, the Bible depicts a great scene of judgment and separation. Focus on those two words for just a moment judgment and separation. In Matthew 25, the Bible declares to us that Jesus Christ, who is the righteous and holy King, He is the one who judges and separates. Friends, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is completely just and He judges according to His justice. So let's note, he's not judging according to my justice or your justice or the justice of the United States or any other country. He's judging according to his justice. And the Bible says that that judgment will lead to separation. Judgment leads to separation. This is a separation, as we'll see on the screen, the Bible says, between the sheep and the goats, that there is an inclusion there's an exclusion those are separated unto eternal life and those to eternal punishment so friends what this text is teaching you and me is something very important is that we should all fear a god who is just in matthew chapter 10 verse 28 we'll put it on the screen the Lord Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Friends, as John Calvin was commentating on this particular verse, he said it this way. Matthew 10.28 is a text that makes your hair stand on end. Well, today, friends, we're being taught by this world to fear the coronavirus. And in response to that, people everywhere are taking huge measures and making huge preparations for the coronavirus. What are we doing? We're closing schools and restaurants. We're cleaning 
constantly and washing your hands. We're wearing masks. Here's a picture of one man in Italy. He's practicing social distancing. He's literally wearing a disc which has a radius of six feet. He's walking around with this disc to make sure he has proper social distancing. But my friends, I ask you, as you make all of these preparations for your body in response to the coronavirus here on earth, have you made preparations for your soul in eternity? Do you fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell? Jesus asked it this way, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? But some of you might say to me, Pastor Adam, you know, my life is so bad right now, I'm already in hell. Things just can't get worse for me. Well, my dear friend, hear the words of the Bible. Not only are you not in hell right now, but things can and will get a lot worse for you. In fact, the worst on earth can't even compare to the hellishness of hell. Again, as Dr. Gerstner said, it's impossible to exaggerate hell. And as I was listening to that lecture by Dr. Gerstner, um, he reminded me of many of the differences between life on earth and life in hell. Let me share those with you. Dr. Gerstner said that Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says that God, right now on earth, He forbears to pour out His wrath right now. In fact, on earth, He allows us to have all kinds of diversions and distractions. Think about Matthew 19, the rich young ruler. He ran up to Jesus. He wanted to know how to have eternal life, but Jesus saw that he had a big distraction in his life, that there was something that he loved more than God. And he told the young man, go sell everything you have and come and follow me. So the young man considered Jesus and then he looked over and he saw his great wealth. And his great wealth was such a distraction to him that he decided to love the things of the world and to not follow Jesus. And the Bible said he went away sad because he had great wealth he was totally distracted by his wealth. Friend, what are you distracted by right now? Friends, today you and I have all sorts of things. We have our sports. We have our money. We have things like food. We have vacations, travel that we go on. And every single one of those things can be right and good if we steward them properly. But wouldn't you agree with me that right now, God has removed all of those things from our lives? Why would God do that? Maybe He wants you and me to think about something more important than March Madness. Something more important than going out to eat at our favorite restaurant. Maybe we should consider something more important than our 401k. Something more important than that vacation to Europe. 
Maybe God is removing every one of these distractions, these diversions, for you to consider your eternal destiny as we get rid of these diversions. Because right now on earth we have them. But friends, one day, if you go to hell, there's no such thing as diversion. There's no such thing as distraction. You can't pick up your iPhone and check the score of your favorite team. The Bible says that you can't sit down with your family and friends at a restaurant. All the money in the world, it's not going to matter at that point. Because you see in hell, there's only weeping and gnashing of teeth. And once you get to hell, the Bible says you cannot be delivered from that torment. God's saving grace, it's gone forever. It will be worse than any earthly maximum security prison for God's judgment has caused a separation between hell and heaven. And that separation is so vast, it is so big, there's no way any mere man can make the escape. But not only do we see judgment and separation, but friends, the Bible says we see God's wrath and His fury. A few verses we'll put on the screen. The first one, Hebrews 10, 31. He reminds us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In Hebrews 12, 29 teaches us that our God is a consuming fire. Friends, if God has given man the power to express man's own wrath through things like nuclear weapons, how much more, how much greater will God pour out His wrath and His fury in a place called hell? We're reminded again of the verse we Read just a moment ago, Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Friends, the Bible teaches us that when we're born into this world, we are DOA, dead on arrival. That is, even though we're physically alive, spiritually we are dead. Psalm 51 says that we're born sinful. And biblically speaking, that means that we're spiritually dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And every one of us knows that throughout life, we continue sinning against God each and every day. And because of our sins against a holy God, the Bible says that God's wrath and his curse, his fury, it's aimed towards us and we indeed in our natural condition the bible says we're children of wrath headed to a place called hell now friends i know that was a lot of bad news that was a lot of intense preaching on a terrible doctrine but the reality is it's true we need to know the truth of it and we need to fear a holy God. But as you know, the Bible doesn't leave us with just this bad news. The Bible gives us the best and the greatest news that anybody could hear. And that is, you don't have to go to hell. 
You see, though God's justice demands wrath, God's love gives us His grace. And this is our third and final point today. The grace of God and the way of escape. The Bible says that God is full of mercy. He is abounding in grace. And when we found ourselves in the depths of our sin, when we found ourselves justly deserving God's wrath and displeasure, the Bible says that God loved you and He loved me so much that He sent His only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus came being fully God, but also becoming man without ceasing to be God. And Scripture tells us that Jesus, He went through all the miseries of this life. He was bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, and He was even tempted, just as you and I are, on a daily basis. Yet, Christ never sinned. And though Jesus Christ was despised and rejected by men, He set His face like flint towards Jerusalem to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And on that cross, Jesus suffered all the words we just talked about. Think about this. Jesus suffered the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the fury of God, and He did that for you and for me. He was even separated from His Father. We know that because He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And on that cross, my friend, the infinite Jesus suffered the infinite judgment and infinite wrath and infinite fury of hell for you. And in Christ, on that cross, He propitiated the wrath of God. You might say, Adam, what does propitiation mean? Here's the picture. It means that God's fury and wrath and judgment is aimed towards the sinner. But because God loves us, He turns His wrath from the sinner to the Savior. And Christ Jesus satisfies the justice of God. He quenches the wrath of God forever in propitiation. And in His resurrection, just three days later, Jesus completely conquered over sin, over death. And my friend, He conquered over hell. And now today, Jesus says to you and to me that we can be saved from the wrath to come. That you don't have to go to hell. That you can seek the Lord right now while He may be found. My friend, don't hesitate. Don't delay. We spoke a moment ago that there's no bridge between hell and heaven. Remember, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. But today, friend, it's not too late. Today, there is a way for you to get to heaven. And that way is Jesus Christ. Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 6 declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. My friend, today, repent of your sin. Turn, embrace Jesus Christ by grace through faith. 
Today is the day of salvation. So friends, today as we conclude, we come to one more text. A text which R.C. Sproul calls the most terrifying sermon ever preached. And no, it's not Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, or any other sermon from one of the frontier preachers. It's a sermon preached by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's found in only three verses in the Bible. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Hear now the most terrifying sermon ever preached. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Dear friends, again, because I take the Lord Jesus Christ very seriously, I blow the trumpet of this sermon in your ear today. This sermon is talking about a group of people. Today we call this group a, a group of good church-going people. People who think they're on their way to heaven, but in reality, Jesus tells them they're on their way to hell. They think because they have done certain good works in God's name that they are truly believers, but Jesus corrects them. He tells them differently. Indeed, these are people who have neglected the salvation that God has offered to them, and they have depended upon their own merits to save them. Well, friends, that demands that we ask a question, a question that the author of Hebrews asked at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. We'll put the question on the screen. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And the obvious answer is, you can't escape if you neglect the salvation that Jesus Christ is offering to you today. You cannot escape the fury, the wrath, the judgment, and the separation of God. Friends, if you neglect Jesus' salvation, there is no escape from the hellishness of hell. So today, right now, in a time where all of our distractions, where all of our diversions have been providentially take, been taken away from all of us by a sovereign God. Let us now focus on our eternal destiny. Indeed, what if we feared God as much as we fear the coronavirus? What if we made preparations with God like we make preparations with the coronavirus. I remind you of what Jesus says. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And friend, I tell you again, you don't have to go to hell. Jesus right now has made the way of escape. And he is that way. Repent of your sin. 
believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Escape the wrath to come. Don't neglect the salvation that Jesus is offering to you, dear friend. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we recognize that we're talking about a quite unpopular subject. But Lord, it is a subject that is true. That is a reality. And while indeed the topic of the subject might be difficult to talk about, what we saw here at the very end, your grace and your mercy and your love, gives us so much to be thankful for. God, we're thankful that you loved us, had mercy on us, had grace upon us, that when we, Father, had fallen in sin, that you demonstrated your love towards us in sending your Son. Thank you, Jesus, for conquering enemies that we could never defeat on our own, for conquering our sin, for conquering death, and today for conquering hell. Lord, may we all take a moment while we are distanced from our normal distractions to consider our eternal destiny with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.